the biggest issue with any problem is the question. It's not the answer. Are you asking the right questions? You need people that will ask it from a lot of different perspectives till you get it right. You'll find that when you finally hit on what is the right question, the answer is obvious. Welcome to The Unconventional Path, Secrets to Igniting Your Business with Bela and Mike. I'm Bela Musitz, the David D. Ray Professor of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Clarkson University in upstate New York. And I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the University of Applied Sciences in Münster, Germany. This podcast is about conversations with successful entrepreneurs you've never heard of who have built successful businesses you have never heard of. Businesses and entrepreneurs that we can all identify with. In each episode, I think we try to capture and share the essence of how interesting people often take unconventional paths to build their businesses. So we decided to interview a wide range of business people that have found and taken unconventional paths in their careers. And what we hope to do is capture some lessons, advice, inspiration that'll help you attain your entrepreneurial goals. So join us for interesting conversations and discussions with what we think are really inspiring guests on how you can ignite your business by exploring some of the many less traveled unconventional paths that lie ahead. So if you like the podcast, please tell your friends and give us a review on your favorite podcasting application. If you have suggestions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, folks. In this episode of the podcast... Uh, we actually have a live recording we did of an interview with Craig Skevington. Uh, Craig is a serial entrepreneur, and uh, we decided to try something a little bit different. As uh, a member of the Clarkson Business School, we co-sponsor uh, an interview event, a lunchtime series, we call it, with a business incubator in Schenectady, New York. And we invite once a month uh, guest speakers in, and Craig was one of the guest speakers, I've known Craig for a long time. Uh, we actually went to undergrad together at RPI and uh, decided to try to record it to see how this would turn out. And uh, we think it turned out pretty good. Uh, the quality is not as uh, robust as the quality of the recordings we make when it's one-on-one -on -one in a conference room setting. Uh, however, uh, I thought there was a lot of good content here and I wanted to capture it. So if there's a few extra clicks and some background background noise, uh, please forgive it. But I thought the content was great. So Mike, what was uh, one of the key things that uh, you really enjoyed from his talk? Bela, I think that the explanation that uh, was given for the differences between an entrepreneur and a manager were fantastic. I think the definition of planning versus doing was really interesting. And I think the idea of challenge as the key motivator for entrepreneurs uh, rather than risk-taking uh, was a really cool way to, to frame uh, the challenge of kind of finding your own path and, and taking the unconventional path towards entrepreneurship. So lots of great material here. Yeah, I agree. I think the one piece I'd add to that is he talked about diversity and he talked about diversity not in terms of uh, sex or gender or race, but he talked about diversity in terms of how people approach a problem. And making sure that you have uh, people part of your team who have that uh, self-confidence and creativity and 
know how to ask the right questions and approach a problem differently because that's how you end up with a, a good solution. So let's dive right into the podcast. Uh, and again, as always, folks, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, please give us a nice review on iTunes and tell your friends. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us at our email, which is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. So let's dive right into the podcast. So thank you so much for coming. We want to turn over to questions pretty early on, but we do have a few questions here we want to get started. And one of the first questions I want to just, first of all, welcome. Thanks so much for coming. But um, just get us up to speed, a little bit about your career. If you look at his LinkedIn account, it is not a good reflection of who Craig is and what he's done. PhD, uh, Bell Labs, all this other stuff. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of your career? I mean, my background very quickly is a technical background by training. Uh, as Rick mentioned, I have a PhD, uh, went through the Wharton Business School. Most people, a lot of people, all they have to do is get through high school and they're employable. They're actually good, productive citizens. They had to keep me in the system for 30 years before I could get out and do something. Um, but I you know, worked for the, actually the David Sarnoff Labs for uh, 15 years and really had um, an amazing experience there in that especially technical people uh, in general, are very conservative. If you come in and you say, can you do something? They immediately go, well, I don't know. I'm going to have to study it. Did you do this? Do I have enough time? In research, at least at the Sarnoff labs, it was the more ridiculous the problem, the more people jumped up and said, I want to do that. It's a chance of a lifetime that you have it. And that's really where I formed a lot of my attitudes. It was just an amazing experience. Uh, when I was there, uh, we were working on the telecommunications system using satellites for, uh, for you know, telephone calls, voice calls. And we were able to go through and get three times the amount of calls through the same satellites using some technologies that we had developed. And I had the experience there of going from concept to the research and mathematics behind it, to experimentally verifying it, to working with vendors to build the equipment that we had designed, and then the rollout. And it just kind of ruined me for research. After I did that, I just couldn't go back to write a paper, get it published, go on to the next problem. It was just such a fulfilling experience. And actually, okay, I'll start dating myself already. In 1981, the entire telecommunications system was switched over to the, the technology that we had developed there. So it's just a very rewarding experience. It comes once in a lifetime. So from there, you know, I just had the itch to get out and, and have more impact. I worked at RPI for a while on a research program and then started companies. And once you get that in your blood, you just can't get it out. The roller coaster is just amazing. Uh, I often describe it as, um, you know, the normal range of emotions in a job is, you know, about that range. In a startup, it's more like this. That's not the hard part. The hard part is you go bang, and then you go bang, and then you go bang, and then you go have lunch, and then you go bang. And it's a constant thing like that. And people either thrive in that kind of environment or they hate it. It just burns you up and spits you out. So if you find that you do it and you really like it, you can't work anywhere else because you'll never get that kind of a rush in doing it. Uh, so this is I'm on my, my third you know, major startup. The first one, uh, I know some people here that were with me in that one, actually ended up being a publicly traded company. Uh, the second one, which I'll talk about a little more here, is uh, became the 79th fastest growing company in the country. And now I'm on the third. Uh, so we'll see where that one goes. 
I also have various hobbies. Um, being an entrepreneur in my book is not a job. It's a lifestyle. It's who you are. So I like doing, um, I like stretching myself outside of my comfort zone. I've, I've sat on top of Kilimanjaro. I've rafted the length of the, the Grand Canyon. Uh, I've done an Ironman race. I've done a lot of these different kinds of things. And if a year goes by that I haven't done something like that, I just feel trapped. So I just enjoy, I enjoy, you know, stretching. And I enjoy the challenge. And his wife, by the way, is also, I mean, she climbed Kilimanjaro, Kilimanjaro with you. Correct? And we're still married. Yes. So seven years. He is well yoked here. Um, so tell me a little bit about, like, you know, the difference between, you know, working for that startup and working for other companies. How, how is that different? Most companies, everybody here, I'm sure, has heard it, where any number of people come in and say, you got a plan, you got a plan, you got a plan. Uh, you know, business plans and financial plans and strategic plans and all this kind of stuff. Um, I just don't think that works in a startup. It just doesn't. A startup grows by disruptive events. Plans, by their very nature, are trying to get rid of disruptive events. You know, you, you work the plan to avoid those kind of events. In a startup, that's what you thrive by. My, um, my second company, Flow Management Technologies, we were... We do a lot of workflow, uh, you know, engineering work, and we build the systems behind it to implement those workflows. That's kind of my background. And what was happening is we were came up with a way of allowing physicians to manage large populations of patients and compliance issues and protocols and all that kind of stuff. And we were out there unhappily trying to sell directly to physicians, trying to get this to happen. Somewhere around the third year, we got approached by a pharmaceutical company and said, how would you like to deploy this kind of effort and work through the internet, which at that point in time was not really used for anything like this. And they said, this would be a disease management program that you can deploy nationwide, like within a year. And we'll support it, we'll pay for the whole thing. We went, we were about a million and a half dollar company. By the end of that year, we were doing $12 million in that. We built 58,500 websites in 24 months. So if you do the math, that's 120 a day. Um, it was just an amazing ride. We hired two people a week for a year and then just kept on going. Nowhere in any business plan that I wrote was anything like that in there. Um, and then, and that's what drove us to be the 79th fastest growing company in the country. Two years after we really hit our, our peak, and we're still growing, we were 150, 160 people at that point, a little-known thing called Hillary Care came out. And if you're going to create a big change, the first thing you do is you create a big enemy because it gets people to rally around you. The big enemy were the pharmaceutical companies, my revenue stream. And those pharmaceutical companies said, this is getting ugly. We're just going to stop all the funding and wait for this to blow over. We lost 78% of our revenue in two weeks. And it was just devastating. I mean, how, how do you plan for that? How do you plan that something political like that was going to just devastate the business? And it did. And we went from 160 people down, I think a year later, we were six people. So as fast as we went up, which is, you know, growth is a headache. You know, no matter how you look at it, it's a fun headache, but it's, it's a headache. But dropping like that was just devastating. In retrospect, is there anything that you, do you look back on that and say, here's some things maybe that were road signs that I could have done or not? You know, I still look at that. I, 
I, I can't come up with something. How do you predict something like that's going to happen to you? Right. So, okay, I don't want to cut and, you off. And, and, you know, flow managers, we've got to turn around. It's still, it's still running today, nowhere near what it used to be in its heyday. But uh, that was just, a, you know, just an amazing up and down. And I still wanted to do another. So uh, even after that, because you get to the point where it's like nobody's going to hire me. What's worse, I can't. The only person that would hire me is me, and I don't have a job to give to myself yet. <laughs> so I got to get busy. <laughs> so, how do you know the difference? So, just going to the flow manager for a second, and, and the um, the websites. How do you distinguish? Maybe not specifically that, but just in general for an entrepreneur to know when something is a really is a potential opportunity versus a distraction. Because I think that's a common thing that happens sometimes where if we go, we have had speakers here who have said we decided like Bullocks. I remember saying they were, you know, some theme parks wanted to maybe use them for their fire, you know, creating fake fire. And they said that was really not where we were headed. So how do you know the difference between a good opportunity versus a, a distraction? There's, there's a number of things that happen. When, you, when you're a startup, thinking that you could do a, a business plan, a five-year business plan is just pure hubris. You just have no clue what's going to happen to you and where it's going to go. So what you, the, I think planning, by the way, is greatly overrated. Do you um, do any planning? I do. There are three things that I always look for, and this is getting to the answer to your question. You've got to plan enough to know who you are and, more importantly, who you are not. Because there are opportunities coming every day, and what's a distraction versus what's something you jump on, you got to really understand that. What are your core competencies? Where do you want to get to? All of that kind of stuff. The second plan that you need to put in place is how do you survive? How much runway do you have left? This is all about cash flow and all that kind of stuff. How do you survive? Because entrepreneurs have to be two things. They have to be able to, they're survivors, number one, and they have to be able to grow something like crazy. And that's the third thing is where do I, where do, can I increase my opportunities, my chances of finding this disruptive event that's going to cause us to take off? Every company I've started, it was that disruptive event that I didn't see coming that really got the, the company going. My first company was the same way. Uh, we had a, a Fortune 150 company that came to us, a manufacturer. We were selling manufacturing systems. And um, he, he said, uh, you know, we really like what you're doing. It wasn't somebody we had targeted, and they ended up standardizing in our system. We were suddenly in operating in three different uh, countries. We were in, by the time we were done, we were in 40 different industries within manufacturing. Nobody had ever done that before. You don't see those things coming. But yeah. we knew who we were. We knew this was a good opportunity. You know, you've talked about, um, you know, I look at Craig, and I think of like a swashbuckling kind of guy who is reckless, and I think there's definitely a lot of recklessness in you, but I've also watched you prepare, that's a compliment, <laughs> but uh, but uh, you also, though I remember like when you were preparing for Kilimanjaro, I was working with Craig uh, with another business at the time, and you were preparing. It wasn't like, I'm showing up at Kilimanjaro, we're going to figure this out when we get there. It wasn't that. So there is some element of you that also says, no, we got to count the cost, we got to figure out what it's going to take to get from here to there, correct? Yeah, you got you got to pick the opportunity. And to me, the, the difference between a good entrepreneur and a good manager is a good manager knows when is the right time to get something to happen. They plan for it. They figure out what the right timing is. They work towards it. They hit their milestones. Everything works well. To me, a good entrepreneur is somebody who can figure out how to make right now the right time for something to happen. Uh, the, um, 
I'll switch on you for a minute, but um, I went to an Ironman competition that, that my daughter was, was in. And it's just, if you ever get a chance to go to one of these things, go to it. It's not just a race. You have people that should have died halfway through it, and somehow they're crawling their way across the, the finish line. And that does, that puts you in one of two camps. You'll go into one of two camps immediately. Either you'll be there going, why would anybody do this to themselves? And then you get the other part. I won't even say half because it's not half. The other part that goes, there's something really motivating about this. I got to do it. So I signed up for one uh, that was going to be happening in 10 months. And I had a little bit of a problem that I'd never done a triathlon. I'd never run a marathon. I hadn't been on a bicycle in 20 years, and I didn't know how to swim. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a bad swimmer. I could not swim at all. I could swim as far as I could hold my breath, and that was it. And, um, and for those of you who don't know, it's a 2.4-mile swim in open water. It's 112 miles on the bike, and then you run a marathon when you're done with that, another 26.2. And Lake Placid, which is the one I just signed up for because it was the closest, has the hardest bike and marathon course of any Ironman in the world because of the terrain that's there. Uh, 90 days. I, I went and took a group lesson at the YMCA. I checked to make sure they weren't just for five-year-olds. And um, by the way, this was two years ago. I, this wasn't when I was 20 years old. This was two years ago I did this, almost exactly two years ago today. And the YMCA gave up on me. Because the way you learn to swim is you, they teach you to float, then you move your arms, you kick your legs, you take your breath, look at that, you're swimming. I couldn't get past the first step. Apparently, my lower half is very dense. So they teach me to swim, and my legs would sink in and then drag the rest of me under. And they finally said after the course that we can't help you. So I ended up going out to Saratoga Lake every morning and just kept fighting away. And I remember it was probably about 70 days before the race. And this is a, it's not just an open water swim, it's an open water swim with 2,500 of your best friends in the water <laughs> kicking around with you. It's really a little tense. Um, and finally it clicked. And then all of a sudden I was swimming miles. Uh, but, but I did it. So it's, it's not the planning, the plan doesn't drive the business. The opportunity drives the preparation. That's good. Okay. That's good. Can you say that again? Like Probably that. not. Um, the opportunity. The, the plan doesn't drive the business. Yep. The opportunity drives what you're doing to, to plan for it. I love it. I've often That's wanted good. to do, and I and I say this in the in the business that someday I'm going to come back here with a contract that I just signed that says drain Lake Superior by Friday, and I want a team that's going to go. That's really cool, and and you get to work trying to figure out how to do it. Most people are going to say, ah, that's impossible. But somebody can figure it out, and I'll be damned if there's somebody more clever out there than I am. So that's what you have to do is get challenged by it. Uh, everybody talks about entrepreneurship as people that like to take risks. If I sat here today and said, Rick, I'll bet you $1,000, and when I flip a coin, I'll come up heads, I have no interest in that whatsoever. There's risk involved, but I can't control it. I can't do anything to impact the outcome of it. Risk isn't what drives me. It's the challenge that drives me. It's overcoming the challenge. Now, the bigger the challenge, the bigger the risk of crashing and burning along the way. But the risk isn't what drives you. It's the challenge. So how do you view, is there, do you use the word failure? If something doesn't work, say you didn't make it to Kilimanjaro, you didn't make it to the top of Kilimanjaro, or one of those companies didn't take, or you know, do you see 
Is failure part of your vocabulary? Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, you're not gonna. It, well, that wasn't a literal question. I know it's part of your vocabulary. But like, how do you yeah. view failure? I mean, you've got the best opportunity to learn is from failure. You know, the things you get right, you tend not to remember. You know, but if, if you've really crashed and burned and you've really had some failures along the way, you learn more from that than you learn from getting it right. Does anything stand out in your mind in your own just career-wise or you know, job creation-wise that um, because of that failure helped lead to some major success? Oh. I told you I was going to try to stump yeah. you on some of these. Um, I mean, a lot of it has to do with, with managing people. Uh, you know, hiring people, once you hire them, how do you manage them? Uh, you know, the best manager is a leader, it's not a manager. And, you know, how do you do that? How do you find the right team that will get inspired by something like that and really follow that? I think that's, you know, what I've learned the most, as much as I've learned. Do you want years. a company of like-minded people, like no. a bunch of Craig Skevingtons? No. Would, they would be unwieldy. There'd be nobody they? to argue with. <laughs> There's, you really want as many different, you want as diverse a group as you can. Diverse in terms of how they come at a problem, not diverse in terms of their self-confidence that they can fix, or not fix, but accomplish what needs gets put in front of them. That's the big thing. They need the self-esteem, they need the self-confidence, uh, they need the creativity to turn the problem inside out. Uh, the biggest issue with any problem is the question. It's not the answer. Are you asking the right questions? You need people that will ask it from a lot of different perspectives till you get it right. You'll find that when you finally hit on what is the right question, the answer is obvious. Um, so you talked a little bit about planning, but I want to kind of touch on, is there a downside to actually planning? Can there be a downside? Yeah, the, the big downside there, I mean, I, I had a, a good friend of mine who was asked to uh, give the, a keynote speech, uh, be the keynote speech at a very large manufacturing conference. He, he was probably speaking to three, 4,000 people. And the first words out of his mouth were, 80% of what I'm about to tell you is bullshit. I just don't know what 80% it is. <laughs> and that's the way the business plans are. Nobody's lying. You know, when you do a business plan, you're putting your best effort into it. You're doing it as well as you can. But when I look back on the business plans that I've written, they're just so far off the mark. And it, again, it wasn't, I was trying my best at the time, but it's laughable. So I have my first business plan I ever wrote. And whenever I need a good laugh, I go and read it because <laughs> it's just crazy. But the big problem with planning, over planning, is that opportunities are coming at you every single day. Every day there are opportunities that are going to hit you. If you're focused on a plan, you're going to miss it. Because it's like, what's my next milestone? Well, I have to do today to get to where I need to be tomorrow and the next day. It becomes a whole bunch of, you know, Wednesdays strung together to get to where you want to be. Um, most of you, I mean, if I said, what were you doing three weeks ago today? I have to really think about it, okay? What will you be doing three weeks from now? Probably have a pretty good idea. You're planning too much. You know, there's nothing disruptive going on. That's not what's going to make the company. It'll get you to survive. And you've got a lot of survivors here, especially in the capital region. You've got a lot of companies. I, I once had a discussion with somebody where we were talking about how many companies came through the incubator center. And they very, you know, they said at that time, I'm sure it's much higher right now. This is at RPI. It wasn't you, Jerry. Um, 
where he said 242 companies had come through. And I said, how many of them are still around today? And he very proudly said, I think around 210. And I said, that's terrible. You've got all these survivors. Nobody's taken the big swing to try to hit the home run. Nobody's going for that disruptive event. You hear about all these times of, you know, these companies are disrupting the marketplace. That can't happen unless you practice that internally and you disrupt the company. Now, you can't disrupt it every day. People will just go running away. But if you can pretty much predict what you're going to be doing three, four weeks from now, some of you could probably even say six months from now, I have a pretty good idea, not the specifics, but a pretty good idea what my day is going to be like. Change it. You're planning too much. That You're not creating the disruption that you need. So when you go back to the office, go ahead and tell your boss that Craig said, I'm planning too much. Okay, Joel Terry, go back, tell Tony, I'm planning <laughs> um, questions. This is supposed to be interactive, remember? Yes. How do you, how do you stay like mentally tough sometimes? It's like sometimes you're, you're, you're on a emotional, you're up and down. Because sometimes you got these jobs happening, you got this one happening over here, that one happening there, and all of a sudden this one's yanked out from underneath you, which you were kind of really, you know, things are like happening, they're fluid, you know? And yeah. it's, uh, it's very hard sometimes just to. I have to just like stop <laughs> for a second, take a deep breath sometimes because, and then you know, then you, you're dealing with the crazy people that sometimes out there they're, they're doing work for, and it's just hard. It's very hard to. Yeah, out. I can't help you with that very much. You know, when you do the Iron Man, they, they have a, a saying. They said you've got to be physically fit and mentally strong. Because if you're going to finish an Ironman, it's all it's a mental thing. Your body shut down long before you get to the finish line. I don't care who you are. Um, and you just got to get through it. It's not for everybody. You know, if you get those days where this amazing thing happens, that tend, if that's enough to override the 100 days where you just got to slug through it. But it's not for everybody. Fight it out, I think. Sometimes it's just, uh, just fight it out. Yeah. Just kind of hang in there, keep duking it out, and just keep going. Yeah, that's, that's part of what it is. That either excites you, I mean, on any job, no matter what job you have, there are going to be upsides and downsides to that job. The part of, of the whole startup and entrepreneurship thing is they're amplified. You know, the highs are so high and the lows are so low and they happen so often. Uh, there was one day, I still remember, this was with uh, my first company, and I... I felt amazingly good and amazingly bad at the same time. I literally sat there and go, I don't know how to feel right now. <laughs> and, and you just keep going. So what drives you then? It's not money. It's not fame. What? Yeah, it's the challenge. It is the challenge. It's the challenge by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, the, the money, okay, if, if you know things work out well, that's a nice perk that may or may not come with it. But I've never been driven by the money of it. It's the challenge. It's this is my third business. Everyone's been in a different industry. I hate the idea of going in knowing what the day is going to be like. Um, so I've been in three, you know, it's been in manufacturing. The second was in healthcare, and now we're in IT. So it's, it's a huge learning curve, and it's a huge challenge. What's the challenge for you? Is it in the technology or is it the people? The people. It's always the always the people. The technology. If you have the right people, the technology will happen. It's always the people. So, what do you mean by that, though? It's just a mix of personalities, people who are naysayers, or what? I mean, think about it. In a startup, you're trying to create a disruptive environment. 
okay? It's, it's the anti-planning. You're trying to create a disruptive environment. You want people that embrace that. They get excited about that. Um, these are not going to be people that tend to form, you know, on their own tight-knit teams. And so how do you find the right people that will not just, you know, be okay with that kind of environment but thrive in it and yet form a, a t you know, closely-knit, tight team to achieve it? That's always been the challenge for me. Yes, Nicole. So forming these teams, um, the people thing, right? I, like everyone you talk to, it's always the people, right? Making these teams. Like, are you reading books? Are you hanging out with other like-minded people like yourself? Like, what is? How have you been able to sharpen sharpen that skill? Because that's that's tough when you're talking about. You learn more from the the people in the company. That's that's my first source. Uh, you know, going with like-minded people. That's another way of doing it. Hard knocks, that's another way of doing it. Made a lot of bad hires along the way. Um, and, and you, you know, you learn from that. The, you know, uh, somebody, um, Ray Lancaster uh, said this to me. Uh, Ray was my, uh, was a, a venture capitalist, my first investor in my first company. And somebody asked him, what's an entrepreneur? And he described it as if you take 99% of the population, maybe even more, they're like a, like a, ro a, a rose plant, okay? You put them in a garden, you mulch around it, you keep the bugs away, you water it every day, and you get this beautiful flower that, you know, that blossoms. He said, entrepreneurs are you're flying over a desert at 10,000 feet, you got a bunch of seeds in a bucket, and you throw it out the door. And you come back two or three years later, and somehow, some way, something's going to be growing. It could be ugly as hell but something's going to grow there. And he said, that's what an entrepreneur does. Very inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my, my assets. Um, so that's the kind of person that you're looking for. So first of all, it's hard because everybody, everybody says they want to work in a startup company. It's the American dream. And I would say most of the people uh, that are in that ballpark, I, in fact, I even refer to them as entrepreneurial voyeurs. They think they want the experience, and then, and I've tried to hire quite a number of them, and, you know, we spent a lot of time, you know, through the interview process and all that, and then you go to make them an offer, and they go, what about the 401k, and how many vacation days do I get, and what about this, and what about that, and when it strikes home, then, then they they see what it's like. So, luckily, if you can spot them before you hire them, but I've also hired a number of them who had convinced themselves that's what they wanted, and it just doesn't work. You know, most people want some structure to what you're doing, and just as the startups get to the point where you're getting some structure, you change it. You disrupt it. Something comes down the pipe. So are you someone, though, that, like, when a company gets to a certain point, they always talk about startups, there's certain stages, right, like maybe 10 people, 100 people, that you don't really want to be at a, you know, a 100-person company or a 200-person. When it, when it gets to that stage, it's time for you to move on to something else? It is, but it's not defined by number of people. Okay. You know, FMT grew to be 160 people. I was still enjoying it a lot. Okay. Um, it gets to the point where how much is it changing? When it gets to the point where it's all about planning and getting that extra 10% down the bottom line and that kind of stuff, that's not me. Uh, I'm out of there. And that's part of what you said earlier, knowing who you are. You talked about it as a business, but also as an individual, knowing who you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What drives you. And You're going to be in such extreme environments in this thing 
you really gotta you gotta understand yourself. You gotta understand what the business is meant to be. All those kinds of things. That part of the planning, absolutely, you have to do. Some other questions? Yes, Joe. Is there something about your day that's uh, like an intentional habit or a ritual that that you believe? You know, as a startup entrepreneur, you're all over the place. But is there something that you believe in that this is something I have to do every single day to make my day? Probably the, the biggest thing in answer to that question is make myself available to everybody. Um, you know, because if you've got the right team and they're having problems, they'll come to you and talk it over. A lot of it, it's not so much how do I fix the problem, it's, it's a priority issue. Do I put this much time in here or do I put it over there? Where are we going to go? And, and, you know, that's, that's the perspective I can provide because I kind of have the bigger picture of the different parts of the company. But that's, that's, to me, the biggest thing. Dr. Rob? I love Barton. great. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want people here to think that the Holy Grail has to be a startup. And I like to say that the same principles here can be done in a big company, which might be a harder entrepreneurial job than starting up one. And every big success I had in GE was being an entrepreneur where I had to risk my job on telling them that we had to do this or I'd find someplace else to do it. Do you have entrepreneurs that do you have people in your company that are entrepreneurial? Oh, absolutely. Most so of is them. what so you, would you even just but many of you are in established good companies and the lessons can be applied where you are now. Yes. Very good. Yeah, I agree. And I, big companies improve by having people in them that challenge the conservatism of a big company. Well, Rob uh, wrote a book called Taking Risks, and he hired Jack Welch, so he has a little bit of credibility <laughs> on that area. Thank you. Yeah, Anything and I agree to... completely with that. That's why I mentioned when you said 100, 150. That's nothing to do with the number of people. It has to do with your ability to create change. And if I'm in a place where I can't help create that change, then I'm, I would be frustrated to no end. Any questions? So I have a thought. Yeah. It's when you are in a big company or startup and you suddenly have a windfall and you had that pharmacy opportunity that was such a big windfall that you probably put all your effort in that assuming it was going to succeed. Yep, absolutely. It had to do it. But I'll tell you, sometimes the floor 
you do, you want to ask a black hat, what might I be mixed, missing? And um, I can tell you that Cyprus, which is one of the great failures of startups <laughs> in the failed because the German government gave us 50 million euro to build a semi-works in Bavaria. And it was the worst thing in the world for a power company to be told, here's this money, go build it. We had to build a pilot plant. And no one said, don't go from a lab to a plant, but we have the money. <laughs> All right. Yep. Thank you. So that's good. That is good. Any, do I tag on no any of that? No, I think he, that's dead on. Um, so what other, what are the upcoming challenges in Craig Skeffington's life? What, what are we going to read? Well, By the way, I know some of you got my Evite, so I mentioned his plane crashing in Saratoga Lake. And uh, Bela made a really good point. He's wearing a, a Cessna plane, and <laughs> Bela said, It's too soon. You should, it's too soon. Oh, that was a while ago. He goes, You should have uh, had that plane upside down if you had a situation. Anyway, I gave you the credit for that, Bela. I could have told, stole that joke. But um, what are some upcoming challenges? I can only do this because I totally respect Craig. Totally. Um, any upcoming challenges? Um, a few things that, that are coming up. I mean, business-wise, I mean, we're growing steadfast right now. Our, the current company is growing about 10 15% a month right now. So it's growing very rapidly. The only way we can sustain that growth is to start branching out into other areas. We're in Hartford now. Uh, we just signed on with a group that has immediately given us a footprint throughout the Northeast, Pennsylvania, all through New York, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut. So we're growing very ra rapidly. That's taken a challenge. Um, personally, uh, for any of you that know what uh, Burning Man is, I'm heading out to Burning Man in August. Uh, you're welcome to come along if you have a ticket. If you don't know what it is, I, there's no way to describe it. <laughs> um, and then when we talk about disruptive events, uh, one of the things we're doing right now, oh, the other thing they're looking at, which is just really cool, now that we're uh, best friends with Russia, there's actually a program <laughs> that, uh, you know, I can fly over to just outside of Moscow and take a MiG up and fly it supersonic. So looking at that one very seriously. Um, but the other is... Uh, There's routine know, stuff here, everybody. We... <laughs> We, we try to do some disruptive things in the company as well, and I would actually like to extend an offer here when we talk about opportunities hit you every day. This is the moment to listen up, everybody. I'm sorry. So much pressure. You know, I love this. When you said, you know, today you're probably not going to remember what you were doing two weeks from now, three weeks from now. I got an offer that you'll remember this day for the rest of your lives. I got two seats for somebody to join us to go skydiving this afternoon. So if anybody would like to go with us, raise your hand. I got two seats. We're taking steadfast sky. There's a car outside, you said, right? Yeah. Ready to take them. Car outside. Right now, there's a car go. right now. Any takers? 
It's a chance if you wore if you wore a dress. If, if you're wearing a skirt, we don't need two parachutes opening up up there. Make a deal with the guy next to you. It might fit. Okay, we got one. All right. What's your one. name? In the back. Erica? And in the back. Brittany. Brittany. Guys, right. I just want to say to all the men out there, I'm really disappointed in you. Yeah, come on up after. We get What's your name back, back there? Brittany. Hey, Brittany. Awesome. This is exciting. We're going up this to Sar exciting. Saratoga. So, all right. Any, we got time for one more question, brief question, and then I, we're going to wrap it up. Anybody have any questions? Yes. Um, one of them I was told. <laughs> so, that helps. Um, <laughs> that's, that's useful so, too. Yeah, that wasn't. Uh, the uh, the second one is still running. You know, we got it to the point. I mean, we had a lot of liabilities, and I wanted to keep it running long enough that uh, you know the people impacted had time to find jobs. We ran up a lot of liabilities, so we kept pushing our way through it to pay off liabilities so no vendors got caught in this thing. And by the time we were done, it's now running nice and profitably, so it's still going. Um, steadfast, I don't know. We'll see where that goes. I mean, it really gets to the point where, you know, an entrepreneur's life is one of incompetence all the way through because if you were competent at what you do, you wouldn't have quit a perfectly good job to start it in the first place. Sort of like jumping out of a good airplane. That's what Ben is. You know, the next step in there is you finally get your arms around everything that's going on, but there, you've got a thousand balls in the air, okay? Nobody should have more than five or six. And you're generally used to doing kind of A-plus work. So now you've got a thousand balls in the air. Nobody can keep that many up in the air at the same time. And anybody you're talking to is talking to you about the one or two that pertain to them. And now you're doing C-level work, D-level work, because you're just spread too thin. So you feel incompetent. The next stage, if you can get through that, is you start hiring a management team. So you hire a finance person, you hire a director of development, you hire a salesperson, you know, all of that. Now, everybody you talk to in the company knows more about what you're talking about than you do. Okay, so again, it's another level of incompetence. And then the final level is you feel like it's running so smoothly that you don't even have to show up and everything will be just fine. And that's the final, that's when you know it's time to leave and go out and start the next thing. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Give it up for Craig Skevington. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed that uh, interview with Craig Skevington, Mike. By the way, one thing I forgot to mention is the interviewer uh, for that was obviously not me. It was uh, Rick DeRico who runs the uh, business incubator uh, called New York Biz Lab uh, in Schenectady. And I thought he did a great job. So, Mike, uh, what was one of the points that you thought was really interesting that Craig brought up? Well, okay, narrowing it down from the 12 points that I thought were interesting, Pela, um, one thing that was, I think, worth talking about is the notion of the utility of the business plan in the startup. And I loved Craig's line about the percentage of what's in the business plan is legit versus not accurate. And uh, he, he used much more interesting language, and I'll, I'll keep it PG. But uh, my mother's probably listening. So 
Um, but I love what he was saying that the business plan is um, a document that you need to have, but you shouldn't cling to it too rigidly, that there's going to be a lot there that, that turns out to be not accurate. So let's maybe let's start there, Bela, and maybe share some of your experiences with formal business planning and the utility of that in the in the pitch process. Um, I think this would be a, a neat conversation point. Yeah, uh, I, I thought that was a great point as well that he made. And I think putting my venture capitalist hat on, I think the value of the business plan, at least the way that we approached it, is that it demonstrates that the you, the founder, and the team have at least thought through what the business could be in one scenario. So you've kind of worked out a scenario that may actually possibly could happen. It probably won't, but at least you've thought it through and you're not going totally sort of off the cuff. And I think that's that's really important. It shows, uh, it demonstrates an ability of critical thinking. It does demonstrate some ability of understanding the marketplace uh, how your product fits into that marketplace, potential financial projections, et cetera. So there is value in it. And I think the important part is to know that that's not what's going to happen. So you have to be able to be opportunistic and it's opportunity that drives the business, not the business plan. I love the juxtaposition of the concept of business planning with the idea of disruption as an important factor in entrepreneurship. I think that if you're going to be disruptive, which you should be as an entrepreneur, by nature, you are going to blow up the assumptions in your business plan and have not a lot of certainty in terms of where that, that's going. So if you are successful with your startup and you do disrupt, it makes it more likely your business plan is going to be inaccurate and makes it more critical that you can respond, uh, that you can react, that you can see what's happening and adjust accordingly so that the plan doesn't handcuff you. Uh, the plan is just the basis for you to unleash uh, the innovativeness and the entrepreneurial spirit um, that that you're you're making with new products and new markets. And I thought it was interesting that he also made a key point that says, look, there are aspects where planning is very important. Right. It's how do you survive? Uh, how much runway do you have? What's your cash burn? Uh, making sure you understand that. And also planning about how do you find and choose the opportunities that are presented to you every day. So you do have to have some planning criteria or maybe a better way of saying that is this, some decision-making criteria to know that, okay, we're going to go chase this disruptive thing that just presented itself, but we're not going to chase this one. I love it. This is great advice. I mean, we teach business planning at Clarkson University and at uh, the University of Applied Sciences in Moodster, and almost every school that I know of teaches business planning. And yes, it is a foundation, but there's a skill beyond to be flexible and to react and respond uh, as as the market changes, as you hopefully change the market. So that's great. Let's flip it now and talk about the people side, because I thought Craig also made some really interesting points about people and the mix of people uh, that you want, the ability to uh, to dig at a problem and ask the right questions I thought was really cool. Um, what's from where you sit, Bella, what are the, the key issues there in terms of getting the right mix and getting them to ask the right questions? Well, I thought the point he made about diversity uh, being important uh, and not diversity as we often think about it in terms of gender or race, but diversity from the point of view of how people approach a problem or come at a problem. I thought that was really, really kind of neat. He said, I want to have I don't want to have a bunch of other Craig Skevlingtons in the room. 
because then I can't have an argument with anybody. I can't really have a discussion or a conversation. I want to have people who who have self-confidence and creativity, but at the same time approach problems from different perspectives, which probably means they have a different set of life experiences uh, and they're not all cut from, you know, they're not all Princeton PhDs like he is. They're, they're people with various different backgrounds and making sure you can ask the right questions from a lot of different perspectives. I thought that was really important and key. And if you have that on your team, I think that's going to make you successful when you're going after funding. If you go in front of a VC, they're going to ask you those same hard questions. That's the nature of a venture capital firm, right? It's you bring in people with different backgrounds and you ask these entrepreneurs tough questions from different perspectives to see if they've thought through what they're going to do with the money that you are interested in investing in them. So I think that there's a nice alignment there. Uh, in terms of the success of your business and the success for going of, in going after funding is this idea of ask, uh, getting a diverse bunch of people to ans- ask hard questions from a variety of perspectives. Yeah, I, I thought that was, uh, that was really key. Any other points, Mike, that you want to make? No, we could go on, but I think Craig said it better himself and we could summarize it. So I think we can let this one lie, Bela. But thanks for setting this up. Uh, I thought this was a neat collaboration. And um, if this works and people like it, we can try to link up uh, more with this small lunch group and get uh, the distribution of what these folks are saying out to a broader audience. So uh, so definitely I echo what you always say at the end of the at the podcast, which is if you have some feedback for us, uh, please let us know because it will drive uh, whether we do more um, of this type of podcast or not. Yeah, that would be great. So if you enjoyed the live recording, uh, let us know. The best way to get a hold of us is via email at bela.and dot mike at gmail.com and let me also uh, thank clarkson university uh, for uh, supporting us in getting this podcast out and uh, we're very appreciative thanks again for listening and hope you liked what you heard